0: Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode 21, The End Times, Revelation. Before we get started in the book of Revelation, we need to understand basic things about prophecy. The first thing is that most times the prophets were not given specific years. They didn't know how far away their prophecy was. They just knew that God had promised it. So a way to look at that is, if you're told that something is going to happen in the future, and let's put this in a linear timeline perspective, say I'm standing on a hilltop and I'm told that, hey, off in the distance, something spectacular is going to happen. And I'm looking across the, the years of, uh, of what is to come, and I see this event in the future that God's given me a vision of, or God is, is just verbally telling me of, of what is going to happen. And imagine that that event is on the hilltop off in the distance. Okay, so they're the same height, these hilltops. The present that I'm currently in and this futuristic event is on this other hilltop. What I don't realize or what I don't see is every little detail that's in the valley between the two hills. And oftentimes, some of these prophets, they did not see that the prophecy, and now we're talking about the Old Testament, The prophecy was of the Messiah, right? So they see the Messiah coming on a future hilltop off in the distance. And what they don't realize is that Christ was coming twice. So he came first, he was crucified and rose again. And then off in the further distance on yet a third hilltop is Jesus Christ coming back at the end of the world. And so sometimes in the Old Testament, the prophecies were of a coming Messiah and they didn't realize it was two prophecies or it was a prophecy of the Messiah the second time, not the first time. So you'll see different prophecies that explain different events with no indication of how many years is in between. So understand that first, that prophets were very seldom given specific years. And when they were, as we studied in the book of Daniel, we know that history proved those prophecies to be true. And then the last thing about visions and prophecies is that many times not everything was revealed at once. So, for instance, in Revelation, John had multiple visions. He says that he was caught up in the Spirit on several different occasions, and we'll get into those when they happen. So either God gave him a vision or God actually picked him up and transported him into heaven and explained things to him, or John was actually transported to another time where he physically saw these things happen. And in his first century knowledge, without any idea of what the future looks like, he tries to give his perspective of what those things are that are happening. So multiple times he's given visions where he says, I was caught up in the spirit. And then also, sometimes things are explained or shown several times from different perspectives. Again, reference the book of Daniel and the different dreams and visions that he was given that explain the four coming kingdoms. Same exact prophecy of events, but given multiple ways. The last thing to understand here is that sometimes these visions or prophecies are given out of chronological order. So you have to take them in the context of the entirety of Scripture, and when God says things are going to happen in a certain order, and then later, like in Revelation, we see he mentions one thing, then he jumps ahead to something else, and then he comes back and talks about that one thing again. So if you take in the full context of the books, you can begin to piece together what the entire prophecy is all about. So let's get into it. Uh, First of all, chapter 1 was written by John, the the apostle of Jesus Christ, as a prophetic book. So Revelation 1, 1 through 3 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bare record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So John wrote this from the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled by the Romans after they attempted to kill him. The second century Christian author Tertullian wrote about this. All the writings, all the things that we read about John the Apostle show that the Romans attempted to boil him alive in oil, and yet they couldn't, they could not kill him. So they exiled him instead to the Isle of Patmos, where he uh, was visited by Jesus Christ and and saw these visions. So it was possibly written during the time of Nero and the great persecution of Christians. And then the second thing is that we know this book was primarily written to seven specific churches. So verse four says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from which is and which was and which is to come, Third, we know that this is also a revelation of the end of the world, which is the second coming of Christ Jesus. Verse 5 through 8 explains that. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. So here you go, his second coming. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Clearly, every eye on the earth shall see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds, and it's going to scare them, right? They will all wail because of him. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So we can clearly see that there are prophecies to the seven specific churches in Asia, and we'll get to that here in a minute. And then we also have the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus Christ, all right? And then we know that Jesus Christ himself gave John these prophecies, That's the rest of that chapter, starting in verse 9. It says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Clearly the Alpha and Omega, this is Jesus Christ talking to him. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, that's Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last and I am he that liveth and was dead. Reference to the cross there. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. All right, so here's the cool thing about Revelation. Same as Daniel. He gives us the interpretation. So there's no need to spiritualize it and try and figure out what he meant. So the seven stars, what we hear talked about in the next couple of chapters, and the seven golden candlesticks, refer to the seven pastors of the seven churches. It says the angels of the seven churches, and the Greek word used there is messenger of the seven churches. And in the context here, why would God have him write a letter to an angel? Okay, so that is an English interpretation of the word messenger. So just understand that. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So the word churches is ecclesia. That's the Greek word that it comes from. Ecclesia means those who are called out or called out from among them. So, these are groups of people who are called by God. That's what church literally means. So, that's what we need to understand when we read the next two chapters. So, that brings us to chapter 2 and 3, which is the seven churches. Keep in mind, it was specifically written to the pastors, unto the angel of the churches of, and literally to seven specific churches And each church is given a name by the location of where that church actually was. This cannot be spiritualized either. It's like if I were to say, hey, I'm going to send a message to uh, my pastor where I grew up back in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And you look at me and you're like, oh, well, this is you clearly didn't mean it to your pastor. You just meant it to symbolize types of human beings who are all over the earth. No, 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 no. If you do that, there's no point in trying to understand any of the Bible. The Bible literally means what it says. All right? So when we do a literal interpretation of the Bible, that means you read it like any other book. When it uses a simile, a metaphor, or some sort of analogy, the context And the audience and the author clearly explain that they're using some sort of grammar to give you an idea of something other than the literal words. In common usage of the words in that day for that particular audience and in the grammar tools that were used at that time, you literally understand those words to mean Either what they literally stated or what they literally meant with the grammar tool that they used, such as a parable. A parable that Jesus used a lot of times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is an earthly story, like about a farmer planting seeds with a heavenly meaning where he clearly tells you this is like the kingdom of heaven. So you know, literally, he's telling a story to those people in words that they would understand that means something spiritual. That's what we mean when we say, read the Bible literally. And it's very important that you guys understand that and that you do that because the Bible was written, the New Testament especially, was written in Koine Greek. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. But Koine Greek is not the Greek that was written in that day. It, it, it was like formal Spanish versus informal slang Spanish. Koine Greek was the informal slang Greek that was used in the port towns that everyone around the world, the common man of the world, understood Koine Greek. That's why it was written in that form as opposed to the formal greek that the historians wrote in these words were written for the common people to understand literally not to have to try and decipher it and supernatural it and and make some sort of ethereal metaphor for what you think it might have meant this was not for the scholars to read this book these letters were for the everyday common person to read and understand So, while these were literally written to specific churches, they are to be an example for all believers to read and understand. So, there's some warnings here. Let's look at the seven churches. So, the first one is to the church in Ephesus, Revelations 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. So here's the warning to believers who do not put Christ first. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Then to the second church. In Smyrna, Revelations 2, verse 8, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Again, Jesus Christ. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. All right, two things on this one. Number one, you shall have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. This was specifically to that church, letting them know they were going to be imprisoned and probably tortured for ten days. If they persevered, in other words, did not recant their faith in Jesus Christ, right? Then they would not partake in the second death. And later in Revelations, he explains that the second death is at the end of time being cast into the lake of fire with Satan. So that's an obvious one for us to see that this was a specific church, because we know later the tribulation in the end times lasts seven years, not 10 days. Then we have the third one, the church in Pergamum. Verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. So again, a specific person, Antipas, was martyred, and he's speaking about him. So this is not to be a metaphor for all the churches of America or the churches in the tw- the 21st century. This is very clearly a specific church at Pergamos speaking about specific people. Verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast here them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolataeans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give him white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So a promise to these people that no one else will understand. And I don't know of it ever being mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So that's kind of cool for that church. If they persevered and overcame, they would receive a special blessing. So twice we have this reference to the Nicolaitans, And I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Nobody really knows what they believed other than these two references in regards to uh, eating meat offered to idols and uh, the reference to Balaam. So if you put those two together, it could be that the Nicolaitans were drawing Christians away through the use of seductive women and forcing these people to conform to the Roman society by doing sacrifices in temples, possibly even with temple prostitutes, and then getting this food that had been offered to idols. So here in Revelations, it seems to be indicating that it was more than just eating the food, that maybe they had actively been participating in these pagan temple uh, rites. And that's why they were brought up here in Revelations as, look, I'm glad that you hate the Nicolaitans' actions the same as God does. So that's possibly what that reference to the Nicolaitans is, although there is some debate on that. All right, then we have the fourth church in uh, Thyatira, uh, starting in Revelations 2.18, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, To teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Well, there you go. That explains what I just talked about, right? And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. So once again, a specific named individual who did specific named things. So again, we are not, we cannot spiritualize this. This was an actual specific church. Verse 22, Behold, I will, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Then we have the fifth church in Sardis. Revelations 3 verse 1, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Now, the seven spirits of God, there's some debate over what that could be. And I'll be honest, anytime I come across something in scripture where it's not clear, it's not evident in scripture, I'll I'll tell you. It could be that he's referring to spiritual beings, which... Might be seven angels, actual angels that have power or control over these churches, or or whose job it is to be guardians of these seven churches. We don't know, but we do know that those seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. So let's continue. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So he's saying in this church, you have a reputation of acting spiritual. But everyone knows that you're dead inside. So hypocrites, right? Nevertheless, there are a few of you who are not defiled, and they are worthy. That's what he says in verse 4. And then in verse 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." And then the sixth church in Philadelphia, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So here he's starting to make reference to the end times because he clearly says, the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world And then he says, the new Jerusalem, which will come down out of heaven. And we'll read about that later in Revelation. That's at the end times. In other words, you are not going to face the tribulations that I'm about to describe in the next chapters. So this is where you can see that the prophet did not know how much time would transpire. All right. And then the seventh church in Laodicea Revelations 3.14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I would thou wert hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So this is clearly, he's making a metaphor about them not being on fire for God, neither are they completely cold towards God. They're just lukewarm. And he's saying, that's not good enough. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to put your all into it. You know, you, Jesus Christ himself said that we need to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. That would be being hot. Okay. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent again. A good example for any Christian in any time, God rebukes and calls back those he loves. It's the same as a father looking at their child. You don't spank your child because you hate your child. You spank your child to try and teach them not to do stupid things or things that are wrong. Right? Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. That's the first three chapters. And we will get into the throne room and then the timeline of events on the next uh, episode. Always remember, if you have any questions about this stuff or you want some clarification, Feel free to email me and I'll answer you directly. My email is angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And until next time, may God bless you all.